If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Oreb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Let me start by saying that preaching to just a camera is not my preferred method of sermon delivery. This is true for most of my clergy colleagues, although that may surprise you. After all, no congregation means that there is no one to disagree, no raised eyebrows, no heavy sighs. There is no one to get up and leave out of protest. Plus, I can't see if you're actually sleeping through something I've labored for hours and hours to produce. Not that any of you would do that, right? But no congregation is really not a preacher's dream. As Fred Craddock wrote, preaching is both private and public. It is private in that the prayer, research, study, and reflection in which a sermon is forged tend to bury that message deep in one's values, thoughts, and passions, and generate in the preacher a strong conviction that this message is important, can make a difference, and will not be delivered as though nothing were at stake. However, preaching is also social and public. The preacher voices the message of the community of faith, articulates it to that community and from that community to the world. 
for God so loved the world, is the expression which sets the sermon in its proper context. One of the reasons we gather in body is to exegete our sacred text together so that we can interpret and proclaim the gospel for our time and respond to the work of the Spirit. It is one of the ways we, as Paul wrote, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And it is a community effort, for we believe that all of us need all of us to make it. I deeply miss how the sermon is fully created through our shared effort of speaking and listening, call and response to each other. Today, the text puts us in the wilderness with the ancient Israelites. Like all biblical stories, we don't know if it actually happened, but we know that this story is true. We are just a few chapters removed from the escape from slavery in Egypt. Moses ordered Israel to set out from the Sea of Reeds, or the Red Sea, and into the wilderness. We are familiar with the narrative. The Israelites wandered for 40 years before coming to the land of Canaan. What happened in between in those 40 years is remarkable. And it should be, for this is one of the most important retellings of the formation of a people and their relationship with God. In many ways, it is a book of organizing. Um, by that, I do not mean that it is filled with tips about investing in clear containers and label makers, but organizing in the sense of deciding how people will live together. How should they exist in this new normal? The Israelites, after all, have just been freed from bondage. They could now make their own rules, establish norms, and set expectations. So it is that we find a version of the Ten Commandments in this book, as well as numerous practices, traditions, and rituals that were intended to help the Israelites remember that God is God, not anyone or anything else. But before any of that happens, the Israelites get thirsty, very, very thirsty. And to be fair, they are in the wilderness. It is dry. And it is also understandable that they are tired. The wilderness comes after an already exhausting existence. Remember that the book of Exodus begins with a paranoid Pharaoh ordering the Egyptians to make the lives of the Israelites miserable followed immediately by the instructions to the midwives to kill all Hebrew baby boys. And while they were thrilled when Moses arrived to tell Pharaoh to let the people go, there were those ten plagues that had to be survived. Finally, they are allowed to leave, but only for Pharaoh to then change his mind and chase after them. At this point in the story, the Israelites have just managed to win a foot race across the Red Sea, even though the other team rode in chariots. And now they have just realized that Moses is not the Culligan man. There is no water. So they complain to Moses, complain other Translations used chided, quarreled, grumbled, were angry, argued, found fault with Moses. This is not an uncommon experience for pastors, and I do think of Moses as a pastor. 
It must have been pretty bad because Moses tells God that the people are ready to stone him. And oh, Moses, I know the feeling. Some days the pastor just can't win. People be mad at us over how the furniture is arranged or because we're using a new hymnal or because we aren't mind readers and don't know they are in the hospital. You know if I'm talking to you. Generally speaking, my friends, my preacher friends and I are Team Moses all the way. Except that we are talking about water, of course. It is a basic need. It is essential to the human body functioning properly. It is required for survival. So I understand how the Israelites were beginning to panic. I have no doubt that Moses was well aware before they started complaining. I also have no doubt that Moses had no idea what to do. Like pastoring through a pandemic, coordinating the logistics of a supply train for that many people after escaping slavery was probably not a class Moses took in seminary. But everyone was looking at him, even though he hadn't been here before. He did not have a map. He did not have a cheat sheet. This was not fun for him. But again, everyone was looking at him, expecting him to do something. I, I think this is somewhat connected to the Israelites not yet being organized as God intended. Remember, they are still learning who they are and how they will be a people together. At times, and especially at the beginning of the Exodus story, the people treat Moses as if he is a demigod. Perhaps this is why so much of Exodus centers on organizing the people in ways that remind them that God is God, not anyone or anything else. We know the rest of the story. Moses takes their complaints to God, and like Elizabeth Warren, God has a plan. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of my people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. The gathering of the elders in this story is an important detail, I think. Notice that God did not have Moses do this work alone. Take some of the elders of Israel with you. Before the first commandment was written, you shall have no other gods before me, we see it embodied here. Moses is not God. He alone will not solve this crisis or fix this problem. Instead, it will be done in community a gathering of wisdom, lived experience, and creativity. And we know what happens. Moses and the elders did what God instructed. The water came out of the rock, and the people were relieved of their thirst. This is often read as a miracle story, but theologian Terence Freetham suggests to us that such an act ought not be considered miraculous, as if the water were created out of nothing. Rather, water is understood to flow naturally in and through rock formations, if not always evidently so. The wilderness, then, is a challenge for those who live in it, but there is water coursing through the rock formations. 
There are resources for life provided by God in the midst of the desolate places in the wilderness. These resources just need to be discovered. In other words, the water was there all along. The people just needed to find it. This is a word for us in this moment. We are in the wilderness in so many ways, but certainly in the context of the coronavirus pandemic. This is a place few of us have been before. Fear, uncertainty, and suspicion are all around us. We are grumbling, complaining, and quarreling because there really are things that should have been done to prevent this. President Trump's failure to respond to the pandemic began back in 2018 with the dismantling of the team in charge of pandemic response and was made worse by the administration's dogged insistence over the last four years on cutting the budgets of the Center for Disease Control and other public health agencies. This is why the administration was unable to send out the millions of test kits experts say are needed to take, this, take on this crisis, and why they have tried to downplay the crisis even as it has worsened. In Oklahoma, Governor Stitt's leadership on this has proven just as inept. But like our scripture lesson this morning, we do not need a miracle for our salvation. And we certainly do not need to be turning President Trump or anyone else into idols responsible for saving us. No, the water has been here all along, and we are simply discovering it now. If we believe our sacred stories to be true, then we know that what we need is already available to us. This wilderness is a challenge, but we are not without a community of wisdom, lived experience, and creativity. These are the resources of life provided by God in the midst of the wilderness. The water has been here all along. It's in the funds currently being used to construct the president's southern border wall, but which can be redirected to fund solutions that might actually contain the virus. It's in the $1.5 trillion of corporate welfare used to prop up the markets, but which can be put towards testing and treatment. It's in the fact that if the NBA can have policies in place that got 58 people connected to the Utah Jazz tested for the virus in one night, surely we can replicate those policies elsewhere. The water has been here all along. It is in the things we have taken for granted, flowing through our neighborhoods and churches, flowing through each other. We will find it by asking for help and by offering to help, by opening the windows to let the breeze blow through the house, by playing outside, by making a dent in that stack of books by the bed, novels first. We will find life by singing and dancing and listening to music and taking up the lost art of letter writing again by noticing how happy the dog is because the humans are home so much more. We will survive by taking care of each other. We will remember that kindness, mercy, prayer, goodness, 
poetry, meditation, and hope are already available. The water has been here all along. The Center for Disease Control has determined that older adults and people with serious chronic health conditions like heart disease, lung conditions, and diabetes are at higher risk for infection and face the most serious consequences from getting the virus. If you are someone who needs to limit the risk of exposure but needs groceries and supplies, we have a team of volunteers who will gladly run errands and deliver to your door. If you are thirsty for help, the water has been here all along. If you are someone who can run errands and deliver food, let our church office know that. For if you are thirsty to help, the water has been here all along. There is no need for us to panic, to complain, or grumble. We will wash our hands, we will practice warmth from a distance, and we will be better neighbors to each other than we have ever been before. This is how we will make it through this wilderness. The water has been here all along. We are simply finding it. And when all of this is over, perhaps we will have learned how to organize ourselves more faithfully, with more compassion, deeper relationships, and shared hope. And instead of going back to the way things were, we will move forward together. May it be so. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Waukee, Associate Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m. Mayflower also has a full church school for children of all ages available during the 11 a.m. service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.